WMRA News. I'm Bob Levicky. Charlottesville residents pack a town hall meeting to discuss the increasing gun violence in the area. We have a review of highlights from the General Assembly session that wrapped up Saturday. And full disclosures, Robin Farzad discusses a new trend. Big sports stadiums and venues going cashless. This is the WMRA Daily for Tuesday, February 28th. Charlottesville's new police chief held a community forum on Monday to discuss the recent spate of gun violence. WMRA's Randy B. Hagee reports. Since December 1st, the Charlottesville and Albemarle County Police Departments have responded to five deaths and seven injuries caused by gunfire, based on a review of department press releases. On Monday, about 150 people crammed into the small gathering space at Old Trinity Church to discuss the crisis. Charlottesville Police Chief Michael Cochis said the department will implement hotspot policing in areas where shootings are concentrated, and that a map showing those areas would be released publicly on Tuesday. Hotspot policing is not zero tolerance enforcement for petty crimes. We are prioritizing where we put our cops. We're putting them in places we need them, and where the residents that I have spoken with want them. One recent victim of gun violence was represented by family members. Francine Chambers spoke about her cousin's son, Daquan Anderson, who was shot and killed in September. Police have not yet made an arrest in the case. I'm angry. These killers are still out here. It ain't right. Something got to give. You get them guns off the street because I'm going to tell you some whole lot of moms going to be crying. Local resident Dorenda Johnson responded to Cotches's plans to bring a substation back to Prospect Avenue. There used to be a substation on Prospect, and forgive my friend, it won't work for damn, it didn't make a difference. <laughs> we need to come together as a community, and when I say community, I'm speaking about my community, my people. Yes. My black brothers and sisters here. We need to depend on each other. The department has responded to 30 reports of gunshots in the last 30 days. For WMRA News, I'm Randy B. Hagee. Democratic Delegate Lamont Bagby won a firehouse primary on Sunday and will face Republican nominee Stephen Imholt in a race for Virginia's 9th Senate District. Bagby has served in the House of Delegates since 2015. He's chairman of the Virginia Legislative Black Caucus. Imholt previously ran as an independent state House candidate in 2015. The 9th District race in the Democratic-leaning district follows last week's election of Democratic State Senator Jennifer McClellan to the U.S. House of Representatives. That was called after the death of Representative Donald McEachin. The special election for the 9th District Senate seat takes place March 28th. Early voting runs from March 13th through the 25th. A growing number of members of the General Assembly say they will not run for re-election this year. Ben Pavier with VPM News reports. In the past, lawmakers drew their own political maps when redistricting came around once a decade, and they tried to avoid pairing members of their own party together. But this time around, court-ordered experts ignored where incumbents live when they drew the maps, and they often pitted members of the same party against each other. So that's been one factor in a wave of 14 announcements of retirement, according to a tally from the Virginia Mercury. The list includes some heavyweights like Republican Senate Minority Leader Tommy Normitt and Democratic Majority Leader Dick Saslaw. But not everyone is dropping out. Primaries are set for June 20th, and the candidates are looking ahead to what could be an especially tense set of races. Let's get more now from VPM state politics reporter Ben Pavier on this year's session. The uh, session came to a close on Saturday. Lawmakers passed almost 1,700 bills over the last two months. Whitney Evans sat down with Ben to hear about what they did and did not accomplish. 
I wanted to start by asking if you were surprised by any bills that passed this year. Well, as you know, Whitney, Virginia Democrats control the state Senate. Republicans have a majority in the House. And that meant most controversial legislation got blocked. But not everything is partisan. There's been growing calls for lawmakers in both parties to increase oversight of public utilities like Dominion Energy, which is one of the biggest political donors in the state. In the past, those efforts have gone nowhere. This year, lawmakers and Governor Glenn Youngkin got behind a bill that would increase oversight in a significant way. It's complicated, but one important takeaway is that it will give more power to the State Corporation Commission over how much money the company is allowed to collect from ratepayers. One topic we've both covered over the past few years is the legalization of cannabis. I know lawmakers still didn't agree for a way for adults to buy marijuana for recreational use. Was there any movement on this issue? No, but we did see a major piece of legislation that would crack down on the sale of intoxicating hemp products like Delta-8. The bill would effectively ban the products by capping the amount of THC, which is you know the main intoxicating compound found in the marijuana plant, to 0.3%. Many in the hemp industry argue the bill is poorly written and would cripple their business. And some lawmakers say hemp and cannabis products should be dealt with all at once. Republican Senator Emmett Hanger addressed those concerns on Friday. This assembly... Uh, in whole, and the administration is not ready for recreational marijuana. And this is not about saying no to recreational marijuana. It's about ta- a safety issue that's a f- confronting us right now. Backers of the bill say these products pose a danger to consumers because there's no oversight into what's going into them. Youngkin has signaled he's on board with that approach. Where else did we see bipartisan agreement? One notable piece of legislation would up the rate of jury duty from $30 to $50 a day. There's also a bill that classifies fentanyl as a weapon of terrorism and makes it a class 4 felony to knowingly manufacture or distribute it. Another piece of legislation, which I know you've covered, was originally pitched as a way to limit the use of solitary confinement in prison. But advocates say the version lawmakers actually passed could instead actually expand the use of the practice. All of these bills now head to Yunkin, and he can sign them as is, veto them, or amend them and send them back to lawmakers for a final vote. And then, Ben, there's this big agenda item that didn't get done this session, right? The budget. Where does that stand? So tax receipts are higher than lawmakers expected last year, and that leaves them with roughly $3 billion extra to spend. Broadly speaking, Democrats want to see that go toward public services like education. Republicans are pushing for corporate and individual tax cuts, as well as smaller investments in public services. It could be several months before they come to an agreement, if they do at all. In the meantime, lawmakers passed a kind of stopgap budget, including roughly $260 billion to K-12 schools, in order to correct a mistake from the Department of Education. There were also a wave of retirement announcements this weekend. What's triggering that? Well, in the past, lawmakers drew their own political maps when redistricting came around once a decade, and they tried to avoid pairing members of their own party together. But this time around, court-ordered experts ignored where incumbents live when they drew the maps, and they often pitted members of the same party against each other. So that's been one factor in a wave of 14 announcements of retirement, according to a tally from the Virginia Mercury. The list includes some heavyweights, like Republican Senate Minority Leader Tommy Normitt and Democratic Majority Leader Dick Saslaw. But not everyone is dropping out. Primaries are set for June 20th, and the candidates are looking ahead to what could be an especially tense set of races. All right. Thanks for all of your reporting this year, Ben. Thank you, Whitney. Ben Pavier and Whitney Evans with VPM News. Although Governor Glenn Youngkin has not announced his bid for the presidency, he is planning out-of-state meetings. The New York Times reports that on Wednesday, Youngkin is set to speak with donors in New York City. 
One of them, a grocery store mogul, has a record of making donations to presidential hopefuls. Youngkin is not the only potential Republican candidate heading to New York for meetings, though. Former Vice President Mike Pence, who has yet to declare his candidacy, and Nikki Haley, who has said she's running, both have recently connected with donors in the Big Apple. Virginia Commonwealth University unveiled a plaque and bench on campus Monday in memory of Adam Oakes, a student who died in 2021 in a hazing incident. Family members, including Adam's father, Eric Oakes, addressed students and staff. Even though Adam died from alcohol poisoning, make no mistake, the fraternity hazed Adam to death and the tool they used was alcohol. The only thing that remotely makes any sense to me is that God knew our family wouldn't sit idly by and ignore Adam's death. We're going to use every means at our disposal and share with everyone that will listen to what happened to Adam that night. The family has established the Love Like Adam Foundation to raise awareness about the dangers of hazing. VCU President Michael Rao said the university is working to ensure that what happened to Adam does not happen to other students. VCU has since changed some of its rules governing fraternities and hired a hazing prevention coordinator. Bobby Scott, who represents Virginia's 3rd District in the U.S. House of Representatives, is about to launch a new effort to protect the right to organize. The Democrats' proposal has Republican support. Virginia Public Radio's Michael Pope reports. Labor leaders say the pandemic forced people to think about their workplace in a different way, focusing on working conditions and health benefits. They say that's what explains the surging popularity of unions. Although Congressman Bobby Scott says employers are still engaging in union busting. Unions are at their highest popularity in recent history. And yet, because there are virtually no sanctions for unfair labor practices, every time someone tries to join a union, they're faced with a slew of unfair labor practices. That's why he's introducing the Protect the Right to Organize Act, which has the support of Republican Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania and Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont. Congressman Scott says one of the goals of the bill is to make sure employers get sanctioned for union busting. A lot of people are fired. The employer faces no sanction, but I'll tell you, everybody working at that business knows what happens when you get caught trying to organize the union. Well, that's not fair, and that's what the PRO Act provides, meaningful sanctions for unfair labor practices. A previous version of this bill passed the House, but the Senate never put it on the calendar for a vote. Congressman Scott says he's hopeful he can get the bill out of a Republican-controlled House and onto the calendar of the Senate for a vote. I'm Michael Pope. About a million people in America suffer from multiple sclerosis. Treatments carry some potentially serious side effects, and there is no cure for the degenerative disease. But as we first reported last week, scientists at the University of Virginia say they've made a breakthrough that could someday mean recovery for people who have MS and other autoimmune disorders. Virginia Public Radio's Sandy Hausman has more. Multiple sclerosis occurs when a person's immune system attacks the protective coating of nerve cells, leading to inflammation, muscle weakness, changes in vision, and trouble thinking. Treatments involve suppression of the immune system, which brings risks of its own, according to UVA doctoral candidate Andrea Merchak. That can increase your risk of infection. If you do get infection, it can be a lot more severe. They're pretty strong medications that if we can avoid, we would like to. That's why she and her colleagues in the research lab run by Alban Gaultier are excited. They've discovered a link between substances found in the digestive system, 
bile salts, and the body's immune response. When those bile salts were fed to laboratory mice with multiple sclerosis, Murchak says they actually got well. The T-cells, which are one of the immune cells that's really important for the development of multiple sclerosis, when they're exposed to these bile salts, they are less active and they actually die prematurely, and so they aren't able to cause as much damage. She says bile salts may suppress the production of inflammation in other autoimmune and neurodegenerative diseases. And there are FDA-approved drugs that boost bile salt production in the body. But Merchak thinks it'll be a couple of years before they're tested in patients with MS. I'm Sandy Hausman. Finally today, more and more venues from the Diamond Ballpark in Richmond to Lane Stadium at Virginia Tech are going cashless. And while it may be easier to pay for items electronically, it's also more expensive in many cases. Robin Farzad, host of Public Radio's Full Disclosure, and Virginia Public Radio's Craig Wright have more on this cashless trend. The need to carry paper currency and coin has diminished steadily over the years. And if the trend continues, cash could eventually go the way of cowrie shells. Robin, more and more businesses, including sports venues, are opting to go cashless. And maybe the pandemic kind of sounded the death knell for cash. You know, contactless was the big mm. buzzword back then. There was a coin shortage. I mean, if you could remember back in the haze of, of one of the first variants of COVID, I mean, I know it's ancient history right now. But this has been a longer term trend as more people clearly use credit cards, credit card transactions for everything. I mean, used to be you'd only see it on $10, $20 or more, but now you could do it for a 99 cent pack of gum. And uh, it's going to continue as we shift to the mobile wallet and people use Apple Pay and the like. Okay, the last time I looked, all paper currency says this note is legal tender for all debts, public and private. Can businesses get away with this and turn away cash? They can, but city councils will push back. If you go and talk to the people in Berkeley or in Brooklyn or in some areas like this, they're trying to push back against uh, restaurants and others who, by the way, right now in a time of inflation and trying to claw back and have pricing power, when I go and use my credit card, say at the uh, a juice and smoothie place near my house, they dock me the 3% charge to kind of recoup that, to get it back. Mm. And so in addition to shrink uh, tipflation, which you and I talked about, you know, you're getting nickel and dimed in every which way. But cash is in a, in a kind of a long, inexorable decline. They used to say cash is king. Oftentimes they say cash is trash. You could see why um, theft and everything and banks and, and counterfeiting and everything, you would want to go to all credit, but it certainly disenfranchises a still sizable chunk of the population. After all, what is our monetary system other than a way just to keep score? I mean, let's face it, cash hasn't been backed by gold or silver for generations. That's right. It's a fiat currency and that was been broke what's been broken what for 50 years. It's not you can go in and you can redeem your cash for bullion or anything. It's so twice and thrice removed between gift cards and Apple Pay and debit balances and things on your mobile phone. And you're seeing inflation even in the mobile economy, right? Starbucks rewards just recently uh, inflated the value of what it takes to get a free coffee on their app. I mean, this I quote it because it's one of the most forward. It's one of the the, the most popular mobile payment apps. It was out there first and foremost. And you still have some of the same travails with mobile as you do with cash. There are those out there who say gasoline will never go away completely. Can we say the same thing about cash, that it will never go away completely? Things have a habit of sticking around. There are still 
typewriter manufacturers and light bulb manufacturers. I think you could theoretically buy a VHS tape somewhere <laughs> or a carburetor somewhere. Uh, these things, old habits are hard to break and cash is ubiquitous, but cash again is problematic. And it depends how much these transaction costs can be reduced. If a merchant hates having to pay Amex or MasterCard or the like, something like 3% over time, could something else like a cryptocurrency or Apple disrupt that? That remains to be seen. Certainly, in many cases, the merchant still prefers cash decidedly. Perhaps we should have been listening to Carl Malden all those years ago. <laughs> We've been speaking with Robin Farzad. He is the host of Public Radio's Full Disclosure. I'm Craig Wright. Robin, we'll look forward to talking with you again next week. Love doing it, Craig. Thank you. For WMRA News, I'm Bob Levicky. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy your Tuesday. Tuesday.